0: The issues that matter most, right here, The Drew Mariani Show,
1: on Relevant Radio.
0: But no one will be
2: touching the cross of Christ under the Trump administration. I swear to you, that will never happen. Never happen. And we have to save our country, but Christians, they can't afford to sit on the sidelines in this fight. They have to really get out there. They have to do what they have to do, and they have to win.
0: It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio.
3: Yeah, that's the uh, former president, Donald Trump, promising to protect your churches and your faith. You heard him. That comes from uh, an AP news feed that my producers found, and I'll share a little bit more with you terms of what uh, he has recently said as well. I, I've been following these stories for a while. I have stopped reporting on them because I felt like I was doing it every day. right? It was just so much. Um, but they continue nationally and internationally. On Sunday, I saw a report. Uh, of, it was in an eastern country of uh, Burkina Faso uh, where Islamists they attacked a Catholic church. They killed 15 of the parishioners there. They went in they killed them. Uh, they, You probably heard about the uh, the group that struck uh, in Ethiopia, and uh, oh, there was another nation there that uh, faced a similar problem. Nigeria, I've talked about. Huge surge in uh, Islamic radicalism, and unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of Christians as a result of it suffer. And look, we're not facing martyrdoms like that uh, here in the U.S. In Nigeria, you're seeing people lose their lives, and in a lot of these other African countries, there's a lot of martyrs. Uh, here in the States though, our churches are under attack. Uh, this week there was a re- report that over 400 attacks have taken place on Catholic churches this year. Uh, I'm sorry, not this year, this last four years. And, um, I don't know if it's accelerating or not. I, I mean, like I said, I, I report on this church being burned, this stained glass window being broken, this statue being vandalized. I mean, over and over and over again. And sometimes people have mental illness. Sometimes there's just maliciousness behind it, right? But, uh, for example, the Shrine of St. John Neumann no- uh, in um, uh, Philadelphia, they had their stained glass window shattered by an unknown assailant. Uh, it's going to put them at about $20,000. There was an attack on St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Remember this? Uh, where transgender activists went in. They deceived the cathedral staff, convinced him to do a funeral for a man who called himself a woman and who was an atheist, all just to score points in the media. Well, Family Research Council recently issued a very lengthy report detailing an eight hundred percent attack on all kinds of churches around the country over six years. over six years. So the numbers are staggering. Uh, The president, or former president, he said that if he got elected, um, he would protect your churches and your liberty. Could he do that? I don't know. Uh, What is behind this? We're going to talk in just a moment to Ariel Del Turco about that. But let me share with you a little bit more um, with what President Trump had to say. This was from uh, his NRB address in Nashville last week. Take a listen.
2: Remember, every communist regime throughout history has tried to stamp out the churches just like every fascist regime has tried to co opt them and control them. And in America, the radical left is trying to do both at the same time. There's never been anything like this. It's really dangerous. Okay, it's really a bad thing. It's very dangerous out there. They're doing bad things. They want to tear down crosses where they can and cover them up with social justice flags which nobody even knows what it means. Nobody knows. They don't know what it means. They want to take off the name George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, off schools and off monuments. Think of it. But no one will be touching the cross of Christ under the Trump administration. I swear to you, that will never happen.
3: Amen to that. Amen to that. I'd love to see that happen. Um, It is crazy, though. I I sit back and I look at these numbers. I hear these reports. Uh, The Family Research Council, they compared the year 2022 to 2023, right? 2023, they identified four, they they identified more than 400 incidences, which was more than double the number they identified the year before in 2022. And more than eight times the number that they identified in 2018. Which, you know, again, if you look at the numbers, it means they're increasing. Well, let me rephrase that. I guess not just increasing. If those numbers are accurate, I have no reason not to believe they aren't. Then we're seeing not just an increase, we're seeing an acceleration. More acts were acts of vandalism. And some are pretty minor, you know, but some were pretty major. Uh, there's a United Methodist Church in Annapolis, Maryland. They were hit. With more than $100,000 in damage, there was also an arson, gun-related incident, bomb threats. There were things like assaults and interruptions of church services, a whole litany of things that are taking place. Why is that? I'm joined right now by the uh, director of the Center for Religious Liberty at the Family Research Council. She is responsible for religious freedom policy and advocacy efforts. And it's good to have with me, Ariel Del Turco with me. You can find them at FRC.org. Ariel, good afternoon. Thank you for your work. I'm grateful to have you here. Thank you, you for here. having me. Yeah, this is pretty uh, pretty amazing. When I look at the big picture, the numbers, and I've been following this for a long time. I used to open with my show and i do some news and I'd report on it, but it got to the point where I just got tired of doing it because there were so many of these events happening on a weekly basis. Uh, what are you seeing? The attacks, according to your data there, have been accelerating over the last four years, the, you know, the number more than doubled in 2023 over 2022 and even more from 2018. What's behind it? Why do you think that is?
4: Yeah, I, I think this points to a larger just societal collapse in respect for Christianity, mm. and that extends to these physical representations of Christian belief, which are churches. Uh, we see in the media, in both news media and television, movies, uh, Christianity is spoken about as if it's either backwards and just weird. It's something you're weird, uh, Hick relatives do, or worse, that it's something that's oppressive, right? That it's oppressive to uh, our sexual rights, quote-unquote. Uh, we're living in a culture where Christianity is increasingly painted uh, as something that's that's wrong, that's almost evil, and so I think whether each of these incidents are motivated by that or not, this is seeping into the culture, and we have a culture that just uh, doesn't have the same respect that it did for religion and Christianity uh, 10, 20, 30 years ago. The fact that people feel so comfortable expressing their anger at churches or walking past a church and throwing a brick in a window, I think this is a real cultural problem. You
3: know, I agree. You know, Catholic Vote was uh, reporting that they saw a lot of this start in 2020. I mean, it's gone on before then, but with the George Floyd riots. Um, your, your research, the research you guys did showed that there was a higher number of incidents the year actually before that happened. Um, is there anything cultural that's happening that's fomenting this? In
4: 2020, I think COVID is responsible for some of the lower mm. numbers that we saw. People were at home, and you can't commit as many crimes when you're at home. Uh-huh. Uh, but since then, and especially in 2021 and 2022, as Politically, we are living in a more polarized political climate. I think that's really fomenting a lot of this. And so we saw last year after the leak of the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision, which thankfully uh, was released and did overturn Roe v. Wade, uh, that People lashed out at churches, uh, which might have been a surprising reaction to some of us. Uh, but we saw protests inside of churches, interruption of, of mass or, or worship services, uh, and then really nasty threats uh, being spray-painted on, on church walls. So we see political motivations here uh, as well. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're looking at a real problem.
3: Yeah, if you want to join us, the number is 888 914 914 I actually wonder, I'm just speculating, if numbers could be even higher than what you are reporting or others are tracking. Um, Because I'm sure a lot of people have not reported certain events. Maybe it wasn't that bad or they didn't want to get the law enforcement involved. Um, I don't know where you gathered your data from, but what are your thoughts on the numbers being higher than what you can actually put your finger on?
4: I think you're spot on. This is just the tip of the iceberg. We actually only collected already publicly reported incidents uh, that were already reported by the police or by news media. And so we know that churches have dealt with uh, sometimes dozens of acts of vandalism mm. repeated. And these aren't reported in news because the news gets tired of yeah, covering them. Right. Uh, yeah, so we know this problem is much, much bigger. Uh, however, just based on the data that we found, we are finding a rise in incidents. So I think that reflects probably what's happening uh, under the surface and not being reported by media as well.
3: So, so what's been the response from civil authorities? I mean, ha- have they taking these incidents seriously. I was good to hear the president say, hey, if I'm elected, this is going to stop. I don't know how he stops it, but I'm glad somebody's at least aware of it. What's been the response from from local or civil authorities?
4: Yeah, I I think we're lucky to live in a culture where there are good laws on the books that protect churches. Mostly law enforcement does care about these types of crimes. Uh, However, sometimes It's just impossible to find the perpetrators. Things happen at night. There's no video cameras. There's not a lot of evidence to go off of. Uh, But beyond that, this to me points to the fact that religious freedom, robust religious freedom protections don't just rely on laws alone. They rely on cultural support. So that's where we can come in just as citizens and try to help build that cultural uh, support and respect for religion uh, and for religious freedom. Uh, we're living in just a, a, a culture that's increasingly intolerant towards our beliefs, and we need to take steps in our everyday lives to try to build and strengthen that tolerance.
3: Yeah, my guest today, Ariel Del Turco. will take a few of your calls if you want to join us. It's triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. I only have it for a few minutes today, and. We we're glad to let you join the conversation in just a second. One other thought here, though, too, because I know there were some instances where one person went on a rampage against several churches. Um, does this show an increased hostility level, maybe against the Christian faith in, gentle, in general? I always want to be careful because I think some people who do this probably also have mental illness or maybe under the influence of drugs or. Or something else. But um, I also, from a spiritual perspective, I also believe that, you know, as um, I think Satan's becoming more aggressive today, too, to be honest, uh, and wants to destroy all that is good and true and beautiful. So maybe it's a manifestation of an emboldened, you know, demonic spirit in the culture. But, but your, your idea, your thoughts, if you could, on the increased level of hostility against the Christian faith in particular.
4: Yeah, I, I think it's hard, it's hard to quantify, right, what's going on in the heart of man. Uh, we have seen anecdotally where you, you mentioned <laughs> satanic forces. Yeah. Uh, this year we saw much more uh, vandalisms that featured those types of uh, satanic imagery and symbolism. Uh, and I thought that was a rather odd development. But it tracks some of what's been happening uh, in our culture. We see in the Iowa State House, uh, there, the satanic temple was allowed to put up a, a satanic statue statue yep. uh, inside the capitol yeah, building we've seen these be erected across the country uh, we see in music videos uh Uh, satanism, satanic symbols embraced. So it is interesting, and I I don't think it's a total accident where we see satanism being embraced by the culture, and at the same time, churches being treated uh, with, at minimum, these are acts of disrespect against churches, but at minimum or at maximum, they represent a serious level of hostility and anger towards Christianity.
3: That's such a good point, and I could not agree with you more. Let's grab a call or two for you, Ariel. Don is in Oakland, California. start there hi Don good afternoon
5: hi Drew. good afternoon and uh, thanks for taking my call all right my, I do have a comment on tribalism right now okay because uh, the, the way I see it is that the nation regardless of whether you're Republican or Democrat uh, you're becoming more and more drawn into this kind of a phenomenon instead of uh, putting your efforts into uh, developing democracy in the u.s. And that's why we have churches like ours, Catholic, as being under attack, right. because D- the D- people who indulge in tribalism they see this as an enemy. You D- know what I'm saying? So
3: I, I think I do. That is one of the things. Th- th- thank you, Don. I appreciate it. And, and Eric, I'll let you respond to to Don's comments.
4: Yeah, uh, one thing that's interesting. Uh, I, I agree that our, our political polarization is a problem. Uh, One thing that we expected to see as we embarked on our research is maybe that uh, attacks on churches were more problematic in certain states, like maybe blue states, maybe red states didn't have as much of a problem. Uh, But really, we saw that across the country, uh, this was very consistently a problem, and that the number of attacks against churches actually didn't correspond with politics. Wow. They corresponded with uh, just the amount of population in a state. Uh, so I don't know if that directly addresses his comments. That's really uh, But interesting. it is very interesting to know. I, I think this is just a nationwide problem. So,
3: so politics are, are not playing a role in this at all is what you're saying then? according to your your data. That really is its population more than anything else. Uh, Denise is in Chicago, Illinois. Let me grab her quickly here. She's been waiting a while. Denise, hi. You're on the air with uh, Ariel Del Turco. Good afternoon.
6: Thank you. Bishop Barron recently publicly rebuked a Politico reporter who suggested that believing in God-given rights is an indication of Christian nationalism and warned that her... View yeah. leads to totalitarianism.
3: Yeah, he's right.
6: She claimed that Christian nationalists are different because they have a belief that our rights as Americans and as human beings don't come from any earthly authority. Mm-hmm. They don't come from Congress. They don't come from the court. They come from God. All right, let me. Uh... That problem, she says, is determining what God is telling them. And she said, this is a big problem with MAGA Trump supporters.
3: Hey, Denise, thank you. i like pl- to know your opinion. Yeah, I'm going to play right now for you Bishop Barron's audio. Uh, my producer, Maggie, said she actually has it. So let's hear what he actually had to say.
0: It was one of the most disturbing and, frankly, dangerous things I've ever seen in a political conversation. She's going after what she calls Christian nationalism. But what she said was, there are these Christian nationalists out there who are claiming that our rights don't come from any you know, human authority, they come from God. And she specified you know, that they're claiming these weirdos, that uh, they're coming you know, not from the Supreme Court or from Congress. <laughs> well, first of all, it was Thomas Jefferson who made that claim. <laughs> Great point. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that we're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. And may I say, everybody, it is exceptionally dangerous when we forget the principle that our rights come from God and not from a government. Because the basic problem is, if they come from the government or Congress or the Supreme Court, they can be taken away by those same people. This is opening the door to totalitarianism. This is not some kind of religious nationalism or sectarianism. It's one of the sanest principles of our democratic governance, that our rights come from God. Yes, government exists to secure these rights, the Declaration says, not to produce them. It is exceptionally dangerous to go down this road because as I say, we lose our groundedness in something transcendent and become therefore, by that very move, victims of a potentially totalitarian yeah. state.
3: Yeah, you know, I could listen to him forever. I <laughs> I think he's, uh, he's a genius, he's brilliant. Um, and again, according to the caller there, that's the first time I got to hear that Bishop Barron criticized MSNBC or the Politico reporter, whoever it was, for its commentary on Christian nationalism, highlighting really the dangerous misunderstanding of that foundational principle that human rights are derived from God and not the government. I love the fact he quoted our founding fathers, and he, he said that, look, misunderstanding like that It has historically, and it it could even here, pave the way to totalitarianism. And uh, we need to recognize those inalienable rights that come from a higher power in order to prevent them from being arbitrarily taken away by government powers. Uh, Ariel, do you have any concern about the future of religious freedom? In this country, um, you know, we, we media can certainly be bi- be biased against Christians. I think that's very obvious. I love what Bishop Barron had to say, and we need to recognize you where know, the source of all authority and power come from. But, but your thoughts on that as well? What are you seeing in the culture at large?
4: Yeah, I think Bishop Barron's uh, quote was really insightful. Uh, we're seeing this more and more on the left, where uh, m- maybe our elites or people in the media or people in the Biden administration will be like. Uh, oh, we're we're just against Christian nationalism, we need to oppose this, it's a very dangerous ideology. But when they describe what Christian nationalism is, or what they think it is, they actually just describe basic Christian beliefs, uh, such as the fact that our, our human rights, they don't come from government, they come from God, right? Amen. We would all probably affirm that. Uh, so they're taking a basic Christian belief and they're painting it in this uh, harmful narrative uh, where they are acting like we're extreme uh, when really this is just what we believe from from the foundation of our country uh, and just based on natural law uh, so as that continues as these accusations of, about Christian nationalism in particular continue uh, I think we are looking at a culture that's uh, more and more hostile to Christianity and just doesn't understand uh, our, our basic beliefs. This is also an education problem. The fact that that yes. MSNBC reporter could go on air uh, and act like uh, believing that our rights come from God is some extremist <laughs> uh, belief is is absurd.
3: It's so true. Uh, Joseph's in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Hi, Joseph. Good afternoon.
6: Oh, good afternoon to you guys. Thank you for taking my call. And uh, my report is here in the Philadelphia region. The uh, the most uh, beloved shrine of, of St. John Newman. Mm-hmm. The first bishop of Philadelphia yeah. was vandalized, as well as Mother Bethel Protestant Church, to the tune of uh, $50,000 throughout the uh, various uh, incidences that have occurred in the Philadelphia area. Yeah, that's true. They have
0: caught the individual,
6: and his purpose uh, was not really known except his frustration and or his, uh, uh, I guess, misplaced emphasis on destruction of any kind so that's where it stands right now and it is yeah. uh, it is out of order very much so
3: hey joe thanks for calling i appreciate the update on that and uh glad you pointed out look it's not just saint john neumann it's a lot of other protestant churches it's christianity in general that's in the crosshairs that we're seeing here as well i only have a moment or two so let me sneak richard in too uh, from los uh, from los alamitos california Um uh, Richard, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us.
6: Uh, Good afternoon. I just would like to know if there's a phone number for hate crimes that are available that could be publicized by relevant radio so that if they don't publicize these events in the media, somebody could uh, keep track of the number of increased uh, reports.
3: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Richard, first of all, it's a great call and great, uh great suggestion. Uh, Ariel, if, uh, your organization, I don't know whether you are uh, chronicling these at all so people can go to your website and check it out. I know that the—is uh, it at the loop, uh, Maggie, that, that they have this? Well, where's the tracker? Do you know?
1: I'm looking for it right now. It's on Catholic Votes' website, okay. uh, but let me get the We can exact... put a link up
3: for it. What we'll just put a link on our social media once we find it, so you can go to, you know, our— X platform, formerly Twitter, and, and do a search for that, or for Facebook, but uh, there are people that are tracking this. Ariel, what about what about you? Um, is there resources people can check out?
4: Uh, yeah, we, we uh, release an annual report on this, uh, so you're always welcome to flag uh, these incidents for Family Research Council. You can go to our website um, and access our email from there. Catholic Vote is another great resource. Mm-hmm. They do great work um, at tracking attacks against churches and against pregnancy resource centers. Um, and we work well with them and I would just affirm everything they're doing as well. Uh, But if you wanted to report it as a crime, you can always reach out to uh, the FBI. Um, they track these statistics too. Um, um, but they don't, they don't uh, track it unless someone tells them. So you can do that as well.
3: Well, I am grateful, Ariel, for, uh um, for your time. And you can check uh, out, of course, uh, FRC. Uh, She's the director of the Center for Religious Liberty at the Family Research Council. And I'm grateful for what you guys do. I appreciate your time today, too. And we'll continue to monitor this. And and prayerfully, we'll see the numbers decreasing in the future, not accelerating, as so much of your data points out. But uh, Mm -hmm. thanks for being with us today.
4: Thank
3: you so much for having me. You got it. It's Ariel Del Turco, and you can check her out at frc.org, frc.org. Maggie, you also found uh, another site that uh, they can find Catholic Vote. What was the actual site name? I don't have it. In it's front of
1: me. If you Google Catholic Vote Violence Tracker, it will come to the page uh, that they. It's really handy. They've got a Google map, and it's got these icons all over it where there have been reports, and you can click on each report. And it'll give you a picture of the of the of the um, you know what happened and a description of what happened and links to um, articles. It's it's really handy.
3: Well, I'm going to change gears. We'll continue to monitor this, and again, just pray and look if there is something that takes place, report it. Right. I'm sure there's a lot of these that have gone unreported. I think it's important to make sure we are well aware of what happens. Um, actually, before the genocide erupted in uh, Rwanda, Africa, I remember there was a flurry of demonic um, activity. Uh, this is where human beings turned on one another, right? They brutally massacred each other. The Houthis turned on the Tutsis. Uh, one of the greatest genocides uh, of recent history, creating one of the largest exoduses that we've seen, with millions being displaced. Um, churches were vandalized. Statues were broken. I mean, really, it was weird. It was almost like Satan himself, like it was spiritual, began to lash out at these types of things. So when I see it happening in my own country, it just gives me pause because I like to look back and see what history reveals. I'm not here to frighten you. I'm just say, hey, let's pray. Let's be aware of it. Let's let's pray for the conversion of those who hate our faith and... um, I'll hate our Lord. You know, one day we'll all stand before him. And I've got to take a break, but when I come back, I'm going to talk about this. You know, Christ came to remind us that we are um, spiritual, not just physical beings, that our consciousness, right? It doesn't cease when we draw our final breath. We don't blink out. Our existence doesn't come to an end, right? Earth is, you know, um, it's temporary. You know, you might live, I don't know how long, seven, eight decades, nine decades. You know, rarely most people get to 10. That's a grain of sand on the beach of eternity, right? That's nothing. It's a blink. It's a heartbeat. And while we are on this side of the veil, while we're away from our true home, we are in exile. We're on a mission. We're in kind of a school where we're being tested for something much larger than we can see or hear with our ears or our eyes, right? When I come back, I want to talk about that transition. I want to talk about what it's like to leave the temporal and enter the eternal. and I'm going to share a part of a, an article i came came across where nurses report what happens to deathbeds of so many people. and if you are in you're a first responder, you are a nurse if you are in the medical field, maybe you've even experienced this with your loved ones where you know the claims of angels or Jesus or Our lady or deceased loved ones seem to come to welcome them, to communicate with them, to prepare them for the transition over. Uh, It'll be an interesting conversation. Love to hear your own testimonies. I'll share what I just
0: came across when I return. Wish you could hit rewind on that convo? Listen to the podcast on relevantradio.com or anywhere podcasts can be
3: found. Hey, today we'd like to thank Tammy, who was listening in Florida, for donating her 2016 BMW Z4. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car.
0: What comes after death? It was a
6: wake-up call. People who are dying feel that they actually are waking up.
0: To a reality that makes this state of existence seem as though you're asleep. It was completely accidental. A recording human brain 30 seconds after the heart stopped beating. When you're dying, you know it. He took this arm over my shoulder into
3: the back seat. Came over, there was somebody in his lane. I suddenly found myself above the crash site.
5: I felt conscious then, more conscious.
3: That's when everything went door.
0: The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio.
3: Now, I have never seen this film. I just uh, learned about it. It's called After Death. It's produced by Angel Studios. Highlights people's unexplained near-death experiences. We're all going to make the transition. You and I are going to make that transition one day. I don't know the moment of our of our death. None of us do or you know, how God's going to call us home. But um, it's I think it's sobering really to think about. Uh, and I saw a uh, a piece recently from a friend of mine, Michael Brown. I often talk about him. He wrote about nurses and ghosts and and Lent, and um, you know he says besides these nurses being the heroes of our time, they're also great witnesses to the supernatural, and that they stand, you know, on that line that separates the hereafter. And I, I want to quote one thing. He was, I think, he found there was a nursing website that he he quoted many years ago, and he said this. He says. Um, that's one quick sentence. I'll take Chrissy and all your calls. You can join me. He says nursing is a profession that often involves long, lonely night shifts in eerie hospital wards. It's a perfect breeding ground for ghost stories. And these stories often involve sightings of apparitions, strange noises, and unexplained events that are said to have taken place in hospitals or hospices or other healthcare settings. And some of the stories are believed to be based on true events. Well, of course, others. They tend to be a little fictional, but regardless, they continue to captivate and intrigue both nurses and non-nurses alike, and it gives you a little bit of a spooky glimpse into the world of, of, of healthcare after dark. And I'll share one quick story, and Chrissy, I'm going to bring you on. In this article from this blog, he says I one of the nurses recalled getting a, uh, a code when she was in the hallway. A patient was being transferred from the ER to the floor, and she passes away she passed away in the hall according to the tech they were carrying on a conversation and the lady looked up and she said oh my gosh here comes god i think i'll go with him and then she passed away another person says i've worked at a hospital it has um it, it they, they said um it was what would they say here she, she was working in the icu And she reminded of the spiritual battle. Here's a darker story. She says, one night I was caring caring for a dying male patient. And he was scared. And I spent some time with him trying to calm him down and reassure him. Eventually, he calmed down and I left the bedside and I went over to the nurse station, which was only about 15 feet away. As I sat down, I glanced over him. And there was a black shape standing over the bed looking down at the patient. She said, I was terrified. It was something evil. So you have these different accounts that come and I want to hear a few of yours. I'll share a few more as well, and give you a glimpse into what might happen in that moment of death. The number triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. If you ever now those are some extreme ones. Maybe you were by your loved one as well, where they seem to see their departed spouse or that child that died years ago or somebody that you uh, may not remember, a long lost friend. Chrissy in San Antonio, Texas. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us.
7: Good afternoon. I am a nurse. I was working at a nursing home in West Texas at the time that this story occurred. And so at a nursing home, we often have patients that um, are what we call do not resuscitate. And so Um, this one particular patient was being cared for by the AIDS and they called me because they noticed a change in her status. And so I I came to her and to assess her and sure enough, we nurses know the type of breathing, we can recognize Mm -hmm. the signs. So I ran to get my prayer book. I had that uh, prayer book my mom gave me, uh, the Pieta prayer book. And there's a, a lot of prayers in there, prayers for the dying, the St. Joseph, and so these prayers are quite lengthy, and I am standing over with the aides, and we're praying for this patient, Um, and and her breathing, you know, continues to be very slow, and you can tell the signs, and so it's almost as if the time that I said amen, and we completed these prayers she took her last breath but it it was like she waited for those prayers to finish and it was so beautiful the in fact when i turned back to look around her um, roommate was in tears because she was just like that's the most beautiful thing i'd ever seen but working at a nursing home um where we have a lot of elder people um I can tell you from experience that they know when it's their time, they see things, they see their their family, their friends, they yeah. see things right in the, your presence, and they are baffled that you can't see them. A lot of times they tell you, you know, my time is coming, I'm not going to be here much longer, I've had, you know, visitors from my deceased family members, and, and oftentimes they're not afraid, they're ready to go.
3: Wow, that's so beautiful, isn't it? So reassuring. I, I just, I, I love that. Um, uh, Chrissy, thank you for your work. I'm grateful for you. We we need good nurses. And thanks for calling and, and sharing that story. It was very eloquently done. Um, and and Chrissy's right. You know, when you die, there is a great likelihood that you're going to be greeted by deceased loved ones. And as Chrissy points out, there might even be a room full of them. Um, there was one hospice researcher, actual hospice researcher, who uh, increasingly, in fact, if you work in hospice, you probably know this as well. The, these reports are increasing. You know, they're describing experiences of those who really approach what I'm, I'm going to call a glorious threshold, right? Because this life is a pale, pale, pale reflection of the beauty that awaits us on the other side. No eye has seen, no ears heard the beauty that God has in store for for those who love Him. But in in our dark times. Um, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to believe. A lot of people don't believe in an afterlife. They don't believe in God. Uh, but I think God in his mercy often reaches out to us. Uh, we'll take a few more of your calls. If you want to join me, the number's 888 914 You know, Chrissy was talking about um, this experience of, of having communication with, with loved ones, right? Getting prepared. There's a book out there. It's called Vision, Trips, in Crowded Rooms. It was written by a healthcare worker, a guy named David Kessler, And um, he wrote this. I'll share just a couple sentences. He says, I've been intrigued by the use of the words crowd and crowded. He says, when I started compiling examples to include in my book, he says, I was surprised how similar they were. In fact, it was hard to pick which one to use because, well, they were all so much alike. Perhaps we don't have a full grasp of how many people we've actually met or certainly can't recall all the individuals that have crossed our paths when we were children or a threat or life. But in the tapestry of life and death, we may not always think about those that have come before us. We, we just know that there were individuals. Um, but in dying, he says, perhaps we're able to make those connections. And he makes the case that when people were dying near death, they made people that they have long forgotten friends. They knew in school, uh, relatives that they might have only met when they were a young child. I mean, just so amazing, amazing in- encounters. Uh, you know, one day we'll encounter everyone in our family. Who knows how far back we go? I don't know, but we're all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, right? <laughs> we're all sons and daughters of God. Hopefully you and I will be hanging out together. Ann in Illinois, good afternoon. Thanks for joining me.
5: Hey, Drew. How are you? I'm
3: well, and Thanks. I'm, I'm doing okay. Hey, Paul.
5: Cool. Yeah, 20 years oncology nurse here, retired. Oh, thank you. But I can just tell you, yeah, I can just tell you, I was at the bedside of lots of dying patients, as you can imagine. And the one thing that I saw consistently, couple things, so the two things that struck me when I was listening to what you're talking about was that they do reach out to people. If they're verbal, they'll actually say their names, And then the people in the room can say, oh, well, that was somebody who died a long time ago or something like that. They'll actually tell you. But if they're nonverbal at that point, They'll reach out. They'll keep reaching out. And you see that mostly like in the last 24 hours. Seems like those people are there to take them home. I saw that so many times.
3: It's so amazing, isn't it? I find it so comforting to think about. Um, I heard a story, it's vague right now, but I remember one man who was, um, I guess he was dying, his wife was at his bedside. And um, I guess he was visited by a child that they had very, 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 very young and they never talked about him because of the way the child had died. Um, but that child came Absolutely. back and it was a great comfort for for this man and and only the wife knew about Absolutely. it. So there's a lot of evidence. Absolutely. <laughs> it was yep. such incredible encounters. And thank you. That's a beautiful ministry you have well, with oncology. This, this
5: one, I just wanna tell you one one little thing too. Sure. Um when people um and I I don't even know what to say about this. I'm just gonna say it out loud that If people have led kind of a rough life in their lives, and I know that history, because a lot of times you get to know those patients and their families quite a bit when they're up there. But um, they can have kind of a rocky exit. Let me just put it that way.
3: Have you encountered that? Have you seen that?
5: that? Absolutely.
3: (laughs) Well, you know, hold the thought. I'm going to take a quick break. I I had dinner with an oncologist, a a doctor, who shared with me some weird stories about that. And I'm not here to freak people out, because I think most people have these beautiful experiences. But I want to hear... What you encountered. Uh, so when I return, we'll hear more from Ann. I'll take a few of your calls. I'm in the final segment of the broadcast when I return. If you want to join me, here's your hotline: 888 9149 Our conversation continues with more right after this. Hi Drew,
0: Mariani. Hi, Drew. Hi, Drew. Thank
3: you.
1: Thank you for your show.
3: This is The Drew Mariani, Mariani Show.
1: Marvelous show on the radio right now. Unrelevant
3: radio. Hey, looking for a new job? How about one that offers opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com/forester. An Illinois Life Insurance Society, not available in all states. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for well, allowing me to be part of your afternoon. I appreciate that. If you enjoy the broadcast, tell others about it. You can also share anything you missed by simply going to the podcast. You can get them wherever they wherever they can be found and share with others. It's great to be here with you. I always try to give you a look at life you're not going to find anywhere else. And Today, I'm not just giving you a look at life. I'm giving you a look at the next life and uh, the moment of death when we die. Those who've had these near-death experiences often talk about rising from their body, and they are in full awareness. Uh, and there have been millions of these types of report. They say in dying we become fully alive. My producer Maggie was telling me about her grandmother who passed away. Maggie, why don't you share it rather than me share it? Because I think it's a great story. We'll go back to Anna and we'll get her take too. She was visited for not just the moments prior to her death, right?
1: Oh, months. No, my grandma lived a very holy life, and she spent the last decade of her life really just in prayer and uh, the months leading up to her passing, we, we affectionately as her family, we called them her visitors. You know, mom, mom would talk <laughs> with so her cool. and, and ask, you know, did, did you have any visitors last night? And a lot of times it would either be children praying wow. at her bedside, kneeling at her bedside, praying. Um, and they would never interact with her Sometimes she saw priests and bishops, and wow. um, one time she saw my grandpa, uh, she said, yeah. you know, in his prime, 30 years old, crew cut, clean shaven, looked great, That's awesome." and just, you know, was like standing there looking at her lovingly, you know, and h- who wouldn't want to go home to that, you yeah, know?
3: I guess they come back in that perfect age, if you totally. Will, you know, they're no longer old and decrepit or broken or whatever it might be, but rather full of life, yeah. reflecting the light of God. It's, it's amazing. Those who have these near-death experiences, those who see hospice workers as well, the hospice workers report, I really should say, uh, these people having these conversations with the invisible world, and they see, as Maggie pointed out, parents and spouses and sisters and brothers and uncles and aunts, even friends and in-laws. Now, not every experience is a positive one. I mean, I think a majority of them are. Uh, Anne was, uh, she's an oncologist, and uh, she's a nurse, and uh, she's seen a lot in the passing. And, uh, she says to be honest, and she's, I'm going to tell you the way it is. Not every death is a pleasant one. Uh, and thank you for your patience. Share what you have seen. And then maybe when you're done, I'll share what this other oncologist shared with me. And it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant.
5: No, it's not always pleasant. I I just want real quick. I just wanted to tell Maggie that was really intuitive of you to ask her who her visitors were. I don't think a lot of people do that. And sometimes people are afraid that if they say those things out loud, People think they're going crazy or something. So that, that was a great thing you did, asking her about those visitors. That wow. was wonderful. So I applaud you for that. Good job, Matt. But the only, the only one person that I um, – well, there's a lot of people that haven't. But there was one man in particular. I don't remember his name, but, boy, I can see his face just as clear as day. And this has been years and years ago. But he had led a pretty bad life. He was an alcoholic. He was estranged from his family, although some of the family did come back at the end and um when he was getting close to death and he had no reason to be fighting it he wasn't having trouble breathing any of that stuff but he was fighting something that was in that room and swinging, and it was just and i just looked up in the ceiling i was like okay what else is in here yeah (laughs) right what what's taking this guy home and so i saw that more often than you would want to know about
3: problems. You know what's really interesting about that, too? And, and there was this doctor I had dinner with one Divine Mercy Sunday, and I hope I don't butcher his story, but I had asked him about near-death experiences, because like you, I'm sure you've seen many people take their final breath and go on, some pleasant. And I said, do you have any negative experience? Anybody die a bad death? Because I remember seeing Faustina would bilocate to the bedside of the dying, and she would pray for their souls, and quite often she would see these dark, shadowy figures, these demons, waiting to grab mm-hmm. that soul that was in sin and drag him to, to hell right and they would hiss at her and as she prayed the chapel a great peace would come to the souls um, this, this doctor that I, I know recounted something similar to yours he said they, uh, he was working with this nurse who was in there and there was this biker that was in the room and this guy was a rough tough dude who did drugs and had, you know, just lived a really immoral life and the family was all around the bed so she came in to get him prepared to had to change whatever the bandages or whatever he's been in a coma for a while And she asked everybody in the room to leave, so they did. And when they did that, he woke up out of this coma. He sat up in a start on his bed. And he says, the men in black coats, they're coming to get me. Look, no, no, no. And he was scared to death. He squirmed off his bed. This is a guy who was totally incapacitated. He was trying to scramble for his life, and he collapsed over and was dead. So they call the rest in. You guys code it. You call it. And next thing you know... um, you know, she goes out and the family says, oh, he was a good guy at heart. And it's like, this nurse is like, oh, gosh, I, I really can't tell him what I just saw. He's in a better place. She's thinking, I don't know about that. So it's a lesson to all of us. Live a good moral life because one day we will Amen. have to stand before God. And thanks so much for your call. Grateful for you. Uh, Grace in Sacramento, California. Good afternoon. Hi. Hey. Um, hello? Yeah, hi, Grace. Thanks for calling. Go right ahead.
6: Yes, um, my um, my husband's uncle had been in and out of the hospital, and his wife would call us because I work at a a facility. And the one day that he finally was at his last, we would go visit him during the before he got real sick. He was at he was at home at the time, and we kept uh, my husband, who was very very religious, always had a rosary in his pocket um, would say to him, you know, uncle, you know, let, let me take you to see a priest. And he said, oh no, what I've done, I could never, never be uh, forgiven for. And, um, then he got sicker and he got, where he was, his wife called, we met them at the emergency room, which was some, some distance away. And, um, we got there and we are in the emergency room. And he was conscious and not conscious. And then, uh, Barry took out his rosary and started praying out loud. And then, uh, after we finished about three or four decades, all of a sudden uh, he was already too weak to sit up and uh, uh, he sat up his features had turned into a, a very sharp features. Uh, nose was pointy, his ears were pointy, he gazed around and looked around and his eyes had changed color and we were, we were sitting there and, you know, and his wife looked at us and said, what was that? You know, because then he laid back down and then that made it even more fervent. We continued another rosary and later on, maybe within 25 minutes, it happened again where he sat up straight and the, the figure was pointy again. And it was just, we just, And then after this time, I looked around and looked at all of us. And then he, and then we kept saying the rosary. And then he finally laid down. And then within an hour, he was dead. But
3: so. Well, well, Grace, you know what's really weird about that? I don't know how that that all shook out, but there are exorcists who say that when somebody actually is possessed, they have a demon within them, faces can change, jaws can grow, ears can become pointed, eye color. I mean, weird, weird stuff like that. So. So important to have a priest at somebody's bedside for sure. Janet, let's sneak you in. I got a minute or two left for you. She's in, uh, Carroll stream, Illinois. Hi, Janet. Hi, Janet. Go right ahead. Okay. Give you one more second. Sorry about that. Uh, which one, uh, line nine. Mary in Jersey city, New Jersey. Good afternoon.
6: Yes. Hi, Drew. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Real quick. I know you only have a minute, but, um, Many years ago, forty plus years ago, when I was a brand new nurse in my twenties <clears throat> um one of the first encounters in the hospital of death uh that i and as i'm talking uh, I, I can still see this woman's face. I never believed that there was such a thing, although my mother my beloved mother would tell me mm-hmm. there's a fight at the end of life for life you know for good and evil, and I saw this woman die. And you can see wow. that this person was fighting to stay on the side of light, but I don't think she wound up in a good place because of the look on her well, face when she died.
3: Let me... Was... Mary, I'm sorry, I got to hold it right there because I am totally out of time. On that note, let's live good, just, holy lives. Frequent the sacraments and we'll have nothing to fear. Heaven awaits those who love God and live their lives accordingly.